Hey everyone, this is Lee from Asshole Eats, welcoming you to our podcast, The Kitchen Table. I'm your host, and I'll be talking to my fellow assholes about some food in the news, going through some of our more recent restaurant experiences, and having some of our own segments thrown in there. Anyway, thanks for joining us, and grab a seat. We'll see you at the table. Hey everybody, it's March 26, 2017. We're recording over a shaky internet connection once again. Clancy, I don't think we're actually ever going to record live. Uh, probably not, since we have recorded live and it did not go well. There was echoes and all sorts of disasters of getting too hammered. So, you know, we'll just keep doing it on Sunday, Sunday nights. This week, we interviewed Chef Elena, one of my favorite people from Worcester, Massachusetts. She runs the restaurant Sweet on Shrewsbury Street. What'd you think of her, Clancy? She was awesome. I was amazed that she, um, I've heard such good things about her restaurant. She wasn't a classically trained chef and she almost beat Bobby, Play- Bobby Flay before. Yeah, and uh, she uh, we'll get into it later, obviously, but she competed on a ton of Food Network TV shows. She was on Chopped, beating Bobby Flay. She was on Cupcake Wars. She won Sweet Genius. There was a few others that she tried out for, but impressive list of stuff that she's been on. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. And some of her takes on um, what actually happens at the show was crazy. You know, they film almost all day just to get, you know, a 30-minute to an hour clip to put on TV. I was amazed. Yeah, it does not look like that when uh, when they show it on the air. It looks like it literally takes like an hour to film. Yeah, that's what I always thought, that they just crank out like nine or ten chopped episodes in a day, but boy, was I wrong. Yeah, but for our listeners out there, I think they'll love the interview on Elena. Uh, like Clancy said before, not a classically trained chef, but obviously she's an awesome one now so after being on those TV shows, owning her own restaurant. Um, her specialty is sweets, but anyone who's ever been to a restaurant knows she can cook a hell of a steak, burger, chicken and pancakes, you name it. Who would have thought that somebody who started as a bread chef or a bread baker was, um, you know, could become a restaurant owner in a, you know, almost beat Bobby Flay and go on all those other restaurants. Lee, you ready to open up a bakery with me? Yeah, definitely. I, um... I'm pretty sure we're lazier than Chef Elena, but I think two of us could make up for that. Yeah, two people might be able to um, get to one Chef Elena. Yeah, maybe. I, I don't know. Maybe not her, but like a lower tier. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, I uh, think that's enough for now. Let's play the interview. So now we're welcoming Chef Elena to the kitchen table from Worcester's own Sweet Kitchen and Bar. You can find their Instagram at, at Sweet Worcester. We're going to kick this off with a few basic questions, get into the fun stuff like some food in the news, and hopefully we'll get a couple segments done. Anyway, thank you for joining us, Chef. How's it going? It's great. Thanks for having me. Ah, thank you for coming on. So um, I'm reading your bio now. It says you're basically locally born, right, from Massachusetts? I was actually born in New York, but my parents moved at a pretty young age. I grew up out in the Berkshires, and I actually think that that influenced my food and cooking a lot. You actually worked in New York when you were in high school? So I worked and um, again, being out in the Berkshires, which, you know, it's only been recently, I guess, that in the rest of Massachusetts, people have realized that's a food destination. It always has been. Um, in Southern Berkshire County, a lot of the people that um, have businesses there or vacation there or have homes there are people from the city, editors from, you know, food and wine. And it's a really good food scene. So that place that I worked at, actually, they had two locations. So I worked at the one in the Berkshires, but the, our sister location was um, in Soho, and it was the mm-hmm. same restaurant, same menu, and they had one in Soho and then one in Great Barrington. 
so Chef, tell us a little bit about how you got started with um, Sweet Kitchen in Worcester. So, you know, give us a little bit of, about the background on why you want to start your own place and, you know, how you came to um, be here at Sweet. And, you know, tell us a little bit about the foods, how it was inspired, things like that. Sure. Um, I started, so right out of school, you know, I worked in restaurants all through high school and, um Back in the 80s, before Food Network, before, you know, chefs were really celebrities and stuff, this wasn't an industry or a career that um, was looked upon very favorably. It wasn't something that, your, you know, your parents and your teachers wanted you to go into. It wasn't something people really thought of as a career. Um, I loved it, and I was afraid that I would end up old and grumpy and drunk like a lot of the chefs I knew, <laughs> and that I would begin to hate kind of what was my passion and my stress relief. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I didn't I didn't go to culinary school. I went away to college and, and had another career for about 10 years in the fitness industry, and then it was really when I got pregnant with my son, I, I realized that the kitchens really, really wants to be in cooking, and I missed it doing it professionally. I, you know, had always kept on cooking through the time that I wasn't in a professional kitchen cooking for family and friends and stuff. But, um, yeah, so I was pregnant with my son, and it makes you, I guess, think about you know what you really want to be doing. And my husband came home one day. We were living out near Sturbridge at the time, and he said, "I can't find a good loaf of bread anywhere." Oh, and I don't know if it was because I was pregnant and hormonal or what. I said, okay, I guess I'll open a bread bakery. <laughs> I never worked in a bread bakery before. Um, didn't know much about running a bakery. But for the rest of the time that I was pregnant and about the first six months that my son was, um, after he was born, I just baked a lot of bread and read a lot, um, studied a lot. And when my son was about... Eight months old, I opened my first bakery in Sturbridge. Oh wow! So and, you're not yeah, and then I kind of grew it. So you're not professionally trained as a chef, or so you just kind I of am not. You, wow, that's so, amazing. That's crazy. So you opened up the bread company, and then what was the next step from you know now opening Sweet and Worcester, and what came in between there? So I I grew from my first little spot with the bread company. Uh, A few years later, I grew into a bigger spot in Sturbridge and became the Sturbridge Baking Company. We were like a a bakery and cafe. So we did um, breakfast, lunch, um, bread, breakfast pastries, all that kind of stuff. And then I really, um, my personality, I get bored easily doing the same thing all the time. And I love food and I love everything about it. And I wanted to be able to do more. Mm-hmm. And I realized that I wanted to be able to do kind of fancier desserts and more plated desserts and things that I didn't see around here. Yeah. And I really realized that Sturbridge probably wasn't the right market for that. And I mm-hmm. looked at Worcester just because um, I recognized that it was growing and there's so many restaurants here. Um, so especially at that time, I was really specializing in dessert. Oh, wow. It just, it just made sense to move it here. So that was what, when I decided to sell my place in Sturbridge and open a place in Worcester. Got it. Nine, nice. years, so, ago. Nine years ago, yep. Oh, wow. So now you have the place in Worcester, and then, you know, tell us a little bit about the foods that you cook. Um, you know, was there, you know, did you pick something in the beginning and change it to where you are now? Or, you know, tell us a little bit about, you know, the menu, what you cook and, you know, your specialty and what you enjoy about, uh, you know, what you do now. Sure. Um, when I started again, I think because I came out of, I just always, I have a sweet tooth, so I love dessert. And that comes really naturally to me, I guess, baking, which um, some people think is hard. I don't know. To me, it, it's kind of where just I started. second nature. Again. Yeah, and I guess because it's what I always liked as a kid. I just always wanted to, you know, make sweet things. It's kind of where I started in restaurants. So it is really how I started this business and got known for 
um, desserts and cupcakes pretty quickly. I mean, the Food Network stuff kind of helped with that because the first few shows I was on were, were more based around that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I really I love doing that, but I also, like I said, I'm bored and I love all food, and I really wanted to be able to do um, more savory stuff. So I started by first adding a lot of small plates. We were doing more small plates and stuff, and then um, about a year ago we transitioned into really being a full-service, full-scale restaurant and um, still doing lots of really cool desserts, probably more than most restaurants have, and, you know, everything is 100% scratch. Um, but now it's just a, a full a full restaurant menu of the kind of food that I like to eat, really, which is, um, that's I guess, the best what type, people right? now call New American. Yeah. What? Yeah. I said that's the best type, the type you like to eat, right? Yeah, of course, and I think you cook better when you're cooking the food that you like to eat, you know? Exactly. So, yeah, while we're still on cooking, I'm not that much of a cook myself, but um, so what kind of a, yeah, what kind of ingredients do you usually like to work with? Um, I mean, big thing to me, and again, this comes back to really where I grew up out in the Berkshires, where farm to table is just kind of a way to life, uh, always has been, is that it's really important to me that things are, that the ingredients you start with are good. I think that that's probably the most, that's the best cooking tip I can give people is to use good ingredients and don't too much to, you know, don't do too much to them. If you're starting out with really good ingredients, really good vegetables, really good meat, good herbs it's gonna taste good when you finish um, so what do you and I, what, I try to use local so what do you think about this new food trend that's all of a sudden been you know come here in the past couple of years the you know uh farm to table is you know it sounds like something that's you've been doing all along what do you think about you know this trend that's all of a sudden popped up it's funny. Uh, so when it first started becoming a thing, I don't know, five or six years ago, it is what I've always done. And I hesitated to use the word because I felt like it was such like a marketing thing and everybody was using it. And people are definitely using it that shouldn't be, that really aren't farm to table. Yeah. But mm-hmm. then at a certain point I realized I kind of have to use it because it is what we're doing and you need people to know that. And, and it does help the farmers and promote, I think because more and more restaurants are doing it, it is starting to become a bigger thing, more more customers are demanding it, want to see it, but it's also becoming um, so much of a part of our industry that people are demanding transparency now, so kind of calling out the restaurants that aren't really doing it right and saying they are, and those of us that are trying to be really kind of forthright with who we're using and where we're getting our stuff from so that our customers know that and kind of trace it back to you know, who yeah. grew it and where it came from. So on that topic, what is your favorite thing to cook at the restaurant? So if I was going to, you know, I've never been to Sweet Kitchen and Bar, but I've heard great things from Lee and Vinny and many other people. You know, if I was going to go there for the first time, what's your favorite thing to cook? And what do you think I should order? You know, what would, would be the first thing that I should order? Oh, wow. That's a, that's a hard question. Um, generally I can speaking, give- I don't have a favorite thing to cook because I just like I love ingredients of all sorts but Clancy I'll give you a recommendation yeah Uh, the chicken and pancakes you cooked probably the best I've ever had in my life thank you yeah people love that so that's a funny dish that came out of we were doing chicken and waffles a couple years ago kind of before every single restaurant everywhere had it on their menu yeah and um, ours was still a slightly different version of it um we did a cornmeal waffle, our chicken, I, we, we brine it, and then we sous vide it, then we chill it down, then it gets buttermilk, flour, and fried. So it's like super, super juicy and flavorful. Mm-hmm. Um, and we do it with pickled, pickled fruit. And then depending on if you get it in the morning, uh, on brunch it's with maple syrup, at night it's with our house chicken sauce, which is like a 
maple, mustard, barbecue, kind of like a really good version of Chick-fil-A sauce, if you've ever had Chick-fil-A sauce. I'm not a big um, fan of Chick-fil-A, but I like their sauce, so that's good yeah, with me. Yeah, see, a lot of people say that. The sauce is the best yeah. part. So this yeah, is like a no, really it is. good version of that. Um, so what happened was then, in all honesty, our waffle iron broke one day. And people love that dish. And I was like, well, we just take the waffle batter and throw it on the grill because we can at least give us <laughs> flapjacks with it. Yeah. The waffles. And people loved it, and it stuck. And then we got a new waffle iron. We have this awesome, huge waffle iron. We don't use it anymore because people like it with the flapjacks, and it, it's, kind of, it's different because everywhere else has chicken and waffles. So it's kind of just our own little version of it. Got it. So it seems like, you know, you were ahead of the curve on chicken and waffles. You were ahead of the curve on, uh, you know, farm to table. What is the next big food trend you think that's, you know, going to be coming? Or, you know, is there any food trend that you hope becomes, you know, popular? Is there anything you can, uh, any insight you can give us? I think there's a few things that have kind of have been happening. And it's, I don't know how we all kind of start playing with the same flavors at the same time. But, you know, global, I guess, which is really, I, to me, what this whole new American kind of thing is, which is using, taking familiar dishes and using spices or techniques or flavors from other parts of the world as mm-hmm. part of them, which is a big part of what I do. I think that's going to continue to be really popular in what a lot of people are doing. I think the flavors in the last couple of years, um, you know, Korean all of a sudden became really big, Korean flavors. And then um, Filipino, which everyone was saying was going to catch on a lot huge. I, I still think that that's going to get bigger and more popular and then i think african people are looking at like moroccan and african and all those other kind of uh, flavors and spices interesting yeah i've heard a lot of stuff about filipino food but i haven't had the chance to eat it i wouldn't even know what to order but you know i'll have to keep my eyes open and you know hope it starts to catch on yeah me too so, Chef, we've interviewed chefs before. We've interviewed other entrepreneurs. We never had the pleasure of interviewing uh, a person who is both. What would you say is the hardest part about being both a chef and the owner of a restaurant? Oh, gosh. By far the hardest part is, is for me, is balancing of all of the stuff that comes along with being an owner and the business side of it, and then the being in the kitchen side of it, which, I mean, anyone that's an executive chef has to balance that to a certain degree. But wanting to just be in the kitchen cooking sometimes and having to be pulled out or um, taken away from that to do something else or to, you know, just being constantly kind of having to juggle those two things makes it hard. That does sound tough. You know, that's not easy. Um, So, you know, you talked a little bit about the business side of it, you know, and there's some, obviously some, you know, it's not as easy as you thought it would be. Was there anything that, you know, surprised you, you know, how you had to deal with the staff? You know, t- did you have to teach people how to cook or, you know, teach people how to be waiters and waitresses? Obviously, you've been in the business. You know, talk to us a little bit about the, you know, the, how you trained people and things like that. Yeah, that's probably an ongoing one of the, the hardest parts about the industry is is definitely training people. Um Right now, our industry as a whole is kind of having a crisis with that across the board and not just in – really, I talk to people from go to conferences in New York and all over, and it's kind of a, a thing everywhere with finding um, enough help and qualified help for the kitchen is mm-hmm. really a battle right now. And so we're having to – I have found that now I don't look for – I mean, this is partially also because I wasn't formally trained myself, that I don't so much look for – someone's school although there's a few schools that I definitely think the kids that come out of them are better than others but I look for 
someone's passion for the industry and for food more than anything else and their um, willingness to learn, take criticism, um, and I'd rather take someone that's green but is really, really into it and motivated than somebody that's been doing it for a while that is kind of set in their ways and is just doing it because it's a job. So it's funny that you bring up the passion thing because we've talked to a couple other people and that seems to be a reoccurring theme about, you know, food and chefs and, you know, people really love when the people who are cooking their food are passionate about it and, you know, really enjoy the process. So, you know, it's good to hear that you're looking for people, um, you know, who are passionate about it. So, Chef, my big question to you is when I was reading your bio, you were on all these Food Network TV shows, um, you know, all those things like that. So... I'm a big fan. I watch the cooking shows all the time. So can you talk to us a little bit about the shows and, you know, what it's like to be on one and, you know, how they make it real dramatic at the end that, you know, there's one second left (laughs) and you're not going to be able to plate it all. Um, You know, talk to us a little bit about the shows that you've been on. Um, So, yeah, I've been on quite a few, actually, a pretty diverse range of Food Network shows. Um, I was on the very, very second day of filming of Chopped Ever second episode they ever filmed so they were learning that day along with all of us which most of the shows i've been on i've been on either the first or maybe the second season so i haven't got the chance like people that go on chop now have seen it for you know 10 years and know what the pantry looks like and know what the equipment is we didn't know anything and they didn't let us know anything they didn't let us even walk around the pantry before it started so we didn't know what we were working with that was like part of that we didn't know what was going to happen each round oh that's Um, crazy yeah, so that totally kind of changed the – that show was super fun. It was the first one I did. Um, definitely what I learned over the course of doing them is that I think people forget it's – yes, there's skill involved, but as much as your cooking skill is learning how to play the game and perform under pressure, mm-hmm. and that's really more of what it is. It's a game no matter what – all of them are a game no matter what. It's thinking fast, outwitting the other person, whether it's grabbing an ingredient or just – thinking on your, on your feet and not letting the clock get the best of you because if you really think of it, we're all on a clock every day. I have a dining room full, full of people. I've got to get their food out in 10 minutes or I'm going to lose a customer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, on TV, big deal. I've got to get food out in half an hour. I'm not going to impress, you know, three people mm-hmm. that want to critique me. Yeah. So it's not really the clock. It's more like that you psych yourself up over it. So the more shows that I've done, the easier that part of it gets, and I think you get better and better. Okay. Um, obviously, some people are just naturally good at it, but Tops was super fun. Um, Bobby Flay, Beat Bobby Flay was super fun. I also did another, I did a little video with him for Hellman's Mayonnaise uh, a while back with my son, which was really fun. He's just a nice guy. Um, Cupcake Wars was not so fun. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't you win Cupcake but, Wars? No, I won Sweet Genius. That was fun. Oh, okay. I wish they would bring that show back because he's amazing. And just the creative process of the way that show worked is the way my brain works, which is what made that kind of really easy. Um, and then I was on Rewrapped, which is another show that they only had, I think, a season of. Joey okay. Fatone was the host, and that was absolutely hysterical to film and funny because it was Joey Fatone and Mark Summers, who were both really hilarious in real life. So it just made the whole day really fun. So... I just want to know, is it really, you know, is it always crunch time, putting the plate and the stuff in the last second like they make it on TV, or is that just all show? Um, a lot of the time it is. I wouldn't say 100% of the time, but I think they show that. Some people are done and kind of hanging around, but the, for the most time it is because you're trying to squeeze out every last thing you can. And the clocks are 100% real. 
what's not real and what they don't show you is that it's a really long day by the time you get to the third round because people don't think of it with the magic of television, but every time we cook and make a giant mess, they have to stop. They have to they re-clean have to the whole kitchen and reset it for the next round. And we have judging, and they judge us, and we stand in front of them, and they critique the food, but then, then we all leave, and then they actually figure out who won that round, and then you come back out. So the whole process literally um, shows that you make it to the final round. You're there from like 5 in the morning till 10 o'clock at night. That's crazy. So I got one more question about the TV shows. So when you cook the food and then you bring it up to the chefs, I've always wondered, is it cold or is it, you know, is it warm? How do they, you know, in between, do they eat them all at the same time and then, you know, make a judge thing after? How does that work? Because I always thought like, wow, you know, it's going to be cold by the time they get to the third person or do they speed it up right along or how does that work? Um, we put it in front of them and they, yes. Yes and no. It's pretty quickly when they eat it, um, but it does sit for. It's definitely not hot like you get in a restaurant or like any of us would want to serve it. I'd say probably the one that was the closest thing to that would have been Sweet Genius again because you got ice cream and stuff and it's melting. They were pretty good about taking their first taste, but then what they do is so they'll go across and taste everybody's, then and they'll ask us questions, but then they'll come back. It's literally what looks like five minutes of us standing there to be judged is like 45 minutes of them going back and forth and asking questions, and because they have to get enough footage to be able to edit together something good, too. So they'll go Got to it. one yeah. contestant and then go back to another one. and Yeah, Yeah, that's always been so, you know, I've always wondered so much about, you know, that whole process. So that's great to hear. I know Lee has a couple, uh, he wants to know some uh, tips about cooking, so I'll let him ask those questions. Sure. Yeah, I one, I, again, love the fact that you're not really like a professionally trained chef, and that's no, that's not meant as an insult at all. I'm obviously not one either, but I'm also, I also don't <laughs> cook a lot. So um, if you were to give me advice or anyone else advice about like general cooking tips that we could, pro- that you see like as a common mistake that people might be doing, what do you, what do you think you'd tell us? Um, I think the most common mistake is not taking recipes seriously. So when people are learning, most people, if you don't cook all the time, use a recipe. Use a recipe. And if you can follow directions, you can cook because you have the directions laid out there right in front of you. But I think what makes a difference between someone who's, who's teaching themselves or doing it on their own, um, get it quicker, learn quicker and faster, is, is really taking to so If it says whisk something quickly, whisk it quickly like your life depends on it. <laughs> okay. it says, you know what I mean? Like take yeah. the directions seriously. If it says that to measure it, the measurements aren't a guess. It's science. Follow the measurements. If you follow the measurements and really follow the instructions, it'll work. And I think hand-in-hand uh, uh, hand with that is to read through a recipe, like something we do in kitchens and we always tell like new people we're training, is if you're looking at a new recipe, read through the entire recipe two or three times before you even start it. So you're really that? kind of getting – so you're really understanding the whole process from start to finish before you start it. Got and it. then right. I'd say another another professional trip, trick is um, something called mise en place, which in French means things in place, which is kind of like the golden rule in a professional mm-hmm. kitchen. Uh, some more than others. In mine, it's 100%. I have it tattooed on my arm. Um, and that it means to keep things in place so that when we do a recipe, even a recipe I've done 100 times, I measure each ingredient out, kind of like you see them do it on TV when they have it all measured out and dump it together. Yeah. We measure everything out separately. So we have little containers with everything in it all in place before we start. Oh, wow. That's a great idea. Then we put it all together. And 
when you're first doing it, people think it's going to take longer because, well, first I have to measure it all. Why don't I just be throwing it in the bowl while I measure it? Mm-hmm. But it accomplishes a couple things. It, one, you're just taking all your ingredients, measure it, putting them away, so you're keeping it a nice, clean workspace and kind of free of clutter and everything. But it also gives you a second chance as you're looking at your recipe to go back and look at everything you have measured out and say, wait a minute, that doesn't look like a cup. Maybe I measured it wrong. Wow. Someone walks in the room and starts talking to you, and you're in the middle of counting three, four, five tablespoons, and you lose your count. If you're measuring it into a little bowl and not into the bowl that has all the rest of the ingredients in it, you can start over, and you're not going to mess it up. That's a great tip. You don't know how many times I've made, you know, I've made brownies and forgot to put eggs in or forgot to put flour in. Right. So now I know. Measure them all right. out beforehand. You measure it all out separate. Use little, you know, little pint containers or a bunch of little bowls, whatever. You have all your stuff weighed out in front of you. Then it's really fast. It's almost like you're making yourself a mix before you start. Then it's that just dumping up. Nice. That's great. That's a great yeah. one. So, Chef, we won't keep you much longer, so we just have a couple questions that we ask everybody. So I will. Um, I got one, and then Lee has one. So my final question is, you know, what tip would you give to our listeners about, you know, succeeding in your craft? Obviously, you know, you've succeeded and, you know, built a restaurant and the whole thing. So what's one tip that you would give us, you know, to make us successful? Uh, the number one thing I would say is is to be passionate about it, to live it. People that are really good at this are it's live it, sleep it, eat it, breathe it. Everything's about food. And to read a lot and to be look at what is going on in the rest of the world with food. So always try to say, I'm always reading things, reading blogs and articles, who's what other chefs are doing, who are the top chefs right now in all over the world and what are they doing, what new things are people working on. It keeps you um, inspired and it keeps you motivated and also gives you um, ideas that you kind of then, you know, makes you think if you'll read something someone's doing and that'll give you an idea to do something completely different, but it really kind of keeps you um, sharp learning all the time. Yeah, you need to be learning all the time. And all the top chefs I've met, some of the best chefs in the world, and they'll all tell you that the learning never stops. That's great. That's a great nice. tip. So, Lee, hit her with the last, uh, the last question. Yeah, I'm real interested in uh, hearing this answer. So, Chef, I read an article not too long ago about prisoners and their last meals. God forbid if you were ever in that situation and you were and we were playing by the state of Florida's rules and you had a forty dollar budget, what do you think is uh what do you think you're getting on your last meal? Oh my goodness. <laughs> That's a hard question. That's a really hard question. Um I have forty dollars. Yeah. Forty dollars. It's not a lot. Wow. <laughs> No, it's not a lot, but you know what? The things that I like the most, I think, like given that constraint, I love, I love meat and all that. But honestly, if if I had a budget and it was the things that I love the most, pasta, um, peanut butter, ice cream. Wow, you can buy a lot of yeah. you can buy a lot of that with forty bucks. Comfort food is like good cheesy, like Italian American, like I don't know. That's comforting with some good bread, and I love ice cream. Nice. Uh, yeah, there's usually a part two to the question for because the the question moves to Oklahoma's rules where it's fifteen dollars, but I think you nailed that one also. <laughs> yeah, the peanut butter and jelly sandwich will make me happy. I don't know. I, I love peanut butter. <laughs> That's I'm awesome. Easy. 
as much as I, I love all food, but I think that that's part of probably the reason why is because it could be endless for me. There's not much I don't like. It all fascinates me and excites me, and I think at the same, just as much as everything else does, so does pasta and peanut butter. <laughs> okay, makes sense. So, Chef, thank you so much for coming on. You got any quick shout-outs or, you know, plugs you want to give to anybody? Just, I'd be happy to have people come by and see us at Sweet Kitchen and Bar. Come have dinner, and I guess the shout-out to give is to my staff that helps me do this every day. Perfect. All right, we're gonna. I'm gonna be heading over there soon. I gotta. I gotta try it out, especially after talking to you. So, Chef, thank you so much, Lee. Close out. Sure. That was Chef Alina from Worcester's own Sweet Kitchen Bar. She's definitely spearheading Worcester's food renaissance. So definitely get over there as soon as you can. I've had it. Tw- I've had. I've went there five times already. Brought my dad to three of them. He loved it. I can't wait to. Can't wait to keep going again. And Clancy, we gotta go too. Sounds good. Thanks, Chef. Thank you. Hope to see you soon. Okay, so that was Chef Alina. Clancy, what do you think? Well, uh, in our intro, I was talking, I thought we were doing our outro. So if there was any confusion for people listening, that is why, because I'm an idiot. So from there, I did think the interview was awesome. Like I said, I couldn't believe that she wasn't a classically trained chef and she had... um, Gone up against Bobby Flay and uh, the bread breakery stuff. That was all great. I couldn't. Um, I couldn't believe it. A great interview. I look forward to actually eating at a restaurant one day. And that's about it. Yeah, I was wondering why you mentioned the bread bakery before. <laughs> yeah, it was a little. Intro, what, what was supposed to be the intro? Little sneak peek for the listeners. Yeah, I guess that did the trick. Well, some of the cool parts. I thought she uh, worked in restaurants through high school, but it was crazy because. Before I didn't know she was classically, she wasn't classically trained. Apparently, in the eighties, they uh, being a chef wasn't exactly a glorious career. Yeah, it was insane how it was looked down upon. Um, I've always thought being a chef was really cool, but you know, I grew up in the time of Food Network when all these famous chefs were on TV and people were doing these game shows and all these people were constantly on TV cooking. So I guess it probably wasn't like that back in the eighties. TV didn't really have cooking shows, right? They might have had like the old timey do it yourself stuff, but nothing glamorous like it is now, right? Yeah, they probably just started their own food network because before it was probably just chefs going on the Today Show in the early morning shows. But now, you know, there's a whole dedicated network to food and food shows and recipes and things like that. So I would imagine that it just recently became a glorious career to go into. Or, you know, not so glorious. Those people work while we're all going out and enjoying ourselves. So props to them for, you know, doing what they do. I mean, she's killing it right now. She mentioned how she's really big into farm to table. You can look at her any of her menus and on the side you'll see a page that say all the local farms that the, she gets all her uh, livestock and produce from. It's It's a very impressive list. Like everything there is fresh and locally sourced. And you know what I thought was crazy is that she was so far ahead on the farm-to-table food trend that we talked about in the interview, and she was also ahead of the curve on the chicken and waffles trend. So when we asked her about what was next, and she was talking about Filipino food, I can't wait to, you know, try and search down a restaurant where I live or, you know, somewhere and give that type of food a try. I gotta get in early. I mean, she's had a bunch of awesome ideas. It was weird, or actually, no, it's not weird. It was fun talking to someone who's a chef and a business owner because that's a, I think that's a brand new perspective that we've got, right? The first time we've actually had someone like that. Yeah, it's one of the first people I've ever really 
met or talked to who was a chef and a business owner. You know, I'm brand new in this whole foodie world. When we go to all these places, people all know each other and, you know, have been doing this for quite some time. You know, we're brand new. We've only been in this for a year. So we're still learning. We're still meeting everybody. So it was the first person that I had met who also who was a chef and a restaurant owner. That's got to be tough, man. Yeah, I can't imagine uh, being able to do that because you have to focus on so many different things. You have to focus on what's going on in the kitchen. You have to focus on the books. I mean, I've watched Bar Rescue a million times, and I've seen, you know, when people focus on one thing and not the other, the whole restaurant goes to shambles. So props to Chef Elena for being able to do it both. Clancy, did you notice I got the uh, message from Angry Hams in uh, Framingham? I did. Yep. Also, they were on. Uh, they were on bar. They rescue. were on bar rescue, right? Yeah, uh, with LB, legendary hockey enforcer Lyndon Byers of the Boston Bruins. What was their downfall? Do you remember? I think it was just three drunk dudes opening a restaurant. Nice. Well, you know, that's. Uh, I think a lot of people's dream is to do that with their buddies, open a bar, open a restaurant, and they probably don't see all of the work that goes into it. Yeah, it's got to be hard. I mean, Alina's obviously killing it because the suite's one of the best places on Shrewsbury Street in Worcester. It's an underrated food scene compared to, like, the rest of New England. Very underrated. Like, there's Boston, and I can't really think of anything else that really compares. No, it's going through a food renaissance over there. If you go down Shrewsbury Street, there's tons of tons of restaurants, and new ones are popping up all the time. You know, we've been to The Fix before. Um, It's delicious. I've been to the Italian place at the beginning of it that I can't remember the name. Um, Via? Yes, I have. That's the place that I'm thinking of. Um, I've been there and I've been to a couple other places on Shrewsbury Street and never gotten a bad meal. So, you know, Worcester, keep at it. Yeah. Uh, oh, let's talk about the fun stuff. Her television show appearances. How do you think you would do against Bobby I'd Flay? F- I'd f- I was going to swear. I'd die. You've seen me not <laughs> cook before. So, like, check, like, putting me against a professional chef, I don't think that would work. What's your uh, What's your go-to? Is it a grilled cheese? Oh, dude, like, put, give me a radiator or, like, an iron and, like, a textbook and some paper towels and some bread and cheese. I think I can beat Bobby Flay if that's, like, the contest. I mean, I think we talked about that in one of our lost episodes of, um, you know, how you would make a steak if you only had household appliances. So, you know, maybe if we give you some steak, some grilled cheese, and uh, you should be yeah, good to Bobby go. Yeah, Bobby Flay would just produce, like, a sous vide steak grilled cheese or something like that using, like, a dishwasher. Yeah, so like I think I said in the intro, I couldn't believe um, how those shows are taped throughout the whole day. When I see one of those shows and it's a half an hour, an hour, I automatically assume that, you know, they crank out five or six of them in one day. But to know that that takes all day to produce one of those things was crazy to me. And the fact that when they do the judging, they only show the judging for, you know, two minutes, three minutes at the most. And that judging goes on and on back and forth between the contestants. That part was um, was shocking to me. It not be easy to compete on those shows. Like, especially how early she did. I think she said she was in the second episode ever filmed. So Chop was still finding its footing then. So they didn't, uh, they didn't even let her see the ingredients. Or I don't think they let her even see the kitchen that she'd be working in. Mm. Yeah, no, she was saying that. And that's crazy. Imagine, you know, trying to know what you try to figure out what you want to cook when they give you secret ingredients and then not being able to find anything in the pantry. It's hard enough in my own kitchen, you know, to find certain things. So I can't imagine a pantry with every single solitary ingredient in the entire world that you would be able to find things quickly, especially when you're on the timer, which also was, you know, very surprising that she she said how she learned to um, compete against the clock as well. 
Um, I really wish that show rewrap she was talking about um, was greenlit, if only because Mark Summers was one of the hosts. And for anyone who doesn't know, who Mark Summers is he is the he was the former host of Double Dare on Nickelodeon. I mean, that's that could have been a great show. I'm surprised that the Food Network didn't uh, didn't pick it back up. They would have had like a physical challenge in it too, a la Double Dare. Yeah, and just like you get slimed yeah, or something, like a giant nose with slime and ingredients coming out. Uh, really loved her tips for cooking. Follow the recipe. It sounds so simple, but I did notice it. I deviate a lot, and I don't even cook, so I have no reason to deviate. Oh, yeah, I totally deviate, too. And, you know, I guess if you're a professional chef and you're making these recipes and putting them online or putting them in books, I'm an amateur. I should follow your recipe. But sometimes I don't always do that. But I will in the future. And her other tip to measure things out beforehand was genius. Yeah. And she had a tattooed on her arm, right? Yeah, it's crazy. I will from now on measure things out prior to cooking them. Or at least do my best. I'll never overpromise. Yeah, I think that does it for the recap. I loved her. I think she was one of the best interviews we've ever had. Oh, without a doubt. And we had some good... We have, you know, a stockpile of interviews. Um, And I thought it, that was a great yeah, one. Yeah, like, this is the fourth episode that's going to be aired. But we have, like... I th- we've done, like, 15 or 16 interviews already with a lot of great people out there. And we're just... Uh, we're going to be keep cranking them out for, every, for all the listeners. All right, Clancy. I think that's our recap. On to new business. What do you got for us? So I am going to start a new segment on our Instagram, Facebook blog, and it is going to be called Hot Sauce of the Week. I I certainly do. And I was fortunate enough to go to Julio's Liquors um, last Friday when we were on Taste of Mass, and I could not believe the selection of hot sauces they had. So this has led me to create a new segment called Hot Sauce of the Week. So what the rules are going to be is that I am going to cook eggs, home fries, onions and peppers and i am going to put the hot sauce on it and i am going to test it out try it out and give the viewers um a description of what it's like so the first one up we have is yellow flamingo hot sauce from angry goat pepper company so they're based out of vermont um this is a hot sauce that is uh, mango and habanero based um it is rated a four out of ten on the heat scale and I thought it was pretty good. So for the first um, the first hot sauce review, it will be number one on the rankings at least for one week. And it was uh, it was great. I really enjoyed it. So I can't wait to keep trying them. I got two more that I will be trying over the next two weeks and reviewing for everybody. Clancy, was it actually spicy? Like is a four out of ten spicy? A four out of ten is spicy, actually. Um I was it was surprisingly hot. I started to sweat a little, but I don't know if that was the amount that I put on or the actual heat. Because when I read four out of ten, I just assumed that it wasn't hot at all. So I doused my stuff in it. Um I did get a little sweaty from eating all of it, I will say that. We gotta have a good control testing for that. Like you you need to have a defined amount that you're gonna use. That is true. That's a good idea. I didn't think of that because yeah, if I start reading something's two out of ten, I'll just be putting it all over because if I don't get any heat or, you know, flavor on a piece of egg, I uh, I go crazy. Now, that, and go, I think going. go oh, on. Okay. Um, when we were at Taste of Mass, were those the hot sauces you brought in? Yeah. So you actually got to try um, the next three that I will be reviewing. Nice. nice. I so like the, I like that test. You should just dip a French fry or something simple in the hot sauce and see how it affects you. 
that is that would be a good test but you know people mostly when you think of hot sauce you know you think of it mostly on your eggs your steak something like that so so I was even thinking steak and cheeses I could put it on if I, the eggs don't go all that well do so you put hot sauce on I'm gonna, steak and cheese I I put hot sauce on everything I know you so do. I'm steak and cheese people <laughs> So I'm not sure. I'm not sure if regular everyday people put it on, but um, I certainly do. But I think eggs is probably the most normal thing to put hot sauce on, um, and give a rating or a review on it. Fair enough. All right, looking forward to these hot sauce rankings. Mass Elites had a very busy day on the 25th of uh, March, which was yesterday. So, Clancy, do you want me to go, or do you want to go first? Tell me a little bit about your experience at Barlow. Sure. We got invited to Barlow's by our good friend, Chef Eustace. For everyone who doesn't know, if you actually, if you've been following our Instagram, we went to a place of his in the past. He was one, he might have been the first person to ever reach out to us for in, uh, a tasting, which was awesome. I think he was. Yeah. Love yeah. that guy. One of the nicest people I've ever met. We're definitely going to have him on for an interview one day, and I'll go way more in detail on Barlow's, but um, one of the one of the uh, dishes I had was a bulgogi beef pizza, which sounds intimidating because you don't exactly know what the hell that means. Basically, cut up ribeye and stir-fried on a pizza. So I had stir-fried stuff on pizza. So you would see, like, uh, snow peas. You would see broccoli and, like, a lot of cut-up beef. It tasted awesome. It sounds weird. It was one of the best pizzas I've ever had. Oh, and there was a fried egg on top of it. It looked beautiful when I saw the photo when I posted it on Instagram on Sunday. It was Honestly, a beautiful looking pizza. Yeah, Barlow's is great, man. They're located on A Street in South Boston. Great location. It is huge, by the way. Like, I'm looking forward to going back there. They have a huge interior, so it's definitely not the kind of place where you're going to be shoulder to shoulder with people. We've talked about that, Clancy, with I think the guys from Date Seat. Yeah, yep. Big thing. Don't yeah, like it at all. Score pretty high on that end. Like, you're pretty comfortable. You would be comfortable even if the place was packed. And they have pretty toxic drinks. Uh, I had a lot of other stuff. I don't know if I should go into it now or should I go into it when we have them on? Yeah, I guess we'll, uh, we can skip over and we'll do it another time. All right. Uh, Clancy, tell me about your day, Mr. Classy. So I went to a winery and distillery in uh, Lee, New Hampshire. Cause, so it's called Flag Hill Winery. And they make everything that you could think of besides tequila. So they make gin, they make whiskey, they make scotch, they make brandy, all different sorts of wines. It's an incredible place. Um, so the owner, Nick, he took us on a tour. He showed us the barrels. He showed us the everything that they use to, you know, crush down the grapes, crush down, you know, the mash and all of that stuff and make the alcohol. And then we got to try about eight to 12 things. Um, yeah, so there's a couple, there's a lot of swishing and spitting, you know, um, couldn't be drinking all of that and taking a drive. So I wish, though, that I did have a designated driver because I would have totally got wasted from drinking all that great alcohol. Some of the scotch and the brandy was 150 proof, 140 proof. He said it might even have been a little bit stronger. Um, you know, those were just estimates. So it was um, it was pretty crazy. That's awesome. It sounds like you had a day for yourself. Yeah. Um, and that was only the beginning of it because then after I was able to go to Lobster Q. Lobster Q is a seafood barbecue joint. And they have some of the best um, tartar sauce and sauces that I've ever had. So they make it all in there in-house. Um, four different types of sauces. They do lots of surf and turf. Really a great place. Um, you guys are going to have to go there with me one time. It is worth the drive to head over there. I thought you were eating before you went to this winery distillery place. 
No, so I had pancakes for breakfast, which really wasn't hearty enough. Um, Essentially yeah. going in on So we'll just say that. Yeah, I had lots of water, though, um, beforehand. After I had, like, one of the quick drinks of the 151, I was like, oh, my God, and this guy, you know, he he wanted us to drink and have a good time and enjoy ourselves. Oh, so dude, we should definitely, I drank a lot of water. Go for that then. Yeah, no, I would definitely go back um, to both places. They were yeah, awesome. The, uh, that was your first time meeting other foodies, right? Yeah, so I've been a I'm a food loner, you know, from he, from you know from now until yesterday was the first time I had met any of the other foodies in the community. Really, yeah, Maso Elites has been a pretty isolationist for a while. Yeah, it's crazy. I don't know why no one else wanted to reach out and be friends with us, you know? I think it's our name. Yeah, well, th- that is true. We don't sound very friendly. But yeah, that was that was set up through our friend uh, Vinny from Taste of Mass, right? Yes, Vinny's awesome. Set it up for us. He set up a bunch of other dinners, so we've been lucky enough to be invited and uh, go to all these places. So it's awesome. All right, I think, uh, I think that does it for today, right? Yeah, I think we've hit our time limit quota for people driving to work. Yeah, uh, I'm also pretty tired. It was a long night, so. Hey, if anybody's listening and they hear this and they want to give us some um, places to go out in Dallas, feel free to drop us a line because we're going to be heading out there next weekend. Oh, that's going to be a uh, rough weekend. But yeah, that was uh, Clancy and Lee from Masshole.Eats. Definitely check us out on our Instagram and our Facebook, Twitter, and our blog. And I'll put those in the show notes. Anyway, thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you later.